What is going on, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Rule for Persuasion. I am Andrew. This is my show. It's a nerdy show where I talk to nerdy people about the nerdy things we're into. Um, we've had guests on who brew coffee, who play Dungeons and Dragons, who stream Dungeons and Dragons. Um, we're going to have a, a former NFL pro bowler on the show here pretty soon. And today we have a couple guys who love Stephen King, which is something that I love as well. And uh, if you want to talk about nerdy, we can definitely get nerdy about Stephen King. So we'll get to them in just a second, but first I want to give a shout out to my awesome sponsor, AwesomeDice.com. If you are a player of tabletop role-playing games and you need Awesome Dice for your awesome game, you should go to AwesomeDice.com, use the code RollPersuasion, you support the show, and you get cool dice. So thank you to them for helping us out and for helping you out have an awesome game. You can, of course, always follow me on Twitter at RollPersuasion. It's where I love to chat with you guys. Uh, you can submit questions for the shows, guest ideas, just generally interact, shoot the shit, and uh, put up with my occasional aggressively political retweets. It's a fun time, so definitely come check us out on Twitter at RollPersuasion as well. But now, without any further ado, I want to go ahead and jump to my guests. These guys are the hosts of the KingCast podcast, a show that I've recently really gotten into. Very excited to have them here. Scott and Eric, what is going on, guys? Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, what's up? Not much. I appreciate you guys. Uh, this happened very quickly. We were talking just a couple days ago and now we're recording. So that is my ideal guest scenario. So thank you for that. <laughs> Those are the best ones. That's how we do. So real quick, I'll let you guys explain uh, to the audience who you are. Scott, how about you go ahead and, and give a quick kind of nutshell who you are and, and what you do and what you're into? Well, for the past decade or so, I have been a um, film blogger. Um, I started out at Collider. I ended up moving to uh, a site that was at the time called uh, Badass Digest. It was an entertainment blog owned by the, uh, by the Alamo Draft House. Uh, eventually, that site became Birth Movies Death, which spawned its own print magazine. And for many years, I was the, um, well, I, I guess I was a contributing writer for, for the first however many years. And then uh, mm -hmm. I became the news editor of the site and then the managing editor. Um, and now that site doesn't exist anymore. And we are, uh, so now I am the co-host of the King cast. Uh, it, you did all that work sleeping your way to the top. I know and, uh, it, it yeah, all led to it this, from under you. but, uh, but I'm kind of glad to be out of that game. So sure. All good. I, I am a big birth movies, death fan. Um, I love Alamo draft house. I have a couple of the special star Wars edition, uh, print things that you guys did, um, on my shelf right now. So I heard those I things was are worth money. Uh, that's what I hear. Yeah. Um, I'm not selling them, but you know, maybe someday I will, uh, you know, retire off. Them. Yeah. You might uh, have maybe to. not, maybe not quite. Yeah. Yeah. You can make tens of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> tens and tens. We're not getting a yeah. retirement. So, <laughs> so it's very awesome. So Eric, uh, what about you? What is your background? Uh, well, I started writing about movies when I was 16, I think, uh, back in the very early days of the internet. Cause I'm an old man. Uh, we're talking mid nineties here. Uh, uh, I was just a nerdy kid in Austin and, and liked movies. And I, you know, I, I was in my newspaper program in high school and, and, uh, you know, just cause I knew about film critics and that's how you could see movies early. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. And, uh, I ended up uh, writing, uh, a little roundup. I was a huge fan of George Carlin's and he came through town. Mm -hmm. And so I went, and this is when I was still a freshman in uh, high school and uh, I wasn't in newspaper proper yet. You had to be a junior, I think to be in newspaper, uh, but they shared the journalism class that I was taking. They shared the, uh, uh, the same room. And so I talked to the, 
the newspaper editor at the time saying, Hey, I'm going to go see this George Carlin show. You know, can I go, can I write, write about it for the newspaper? And they said, sure, why not? Uh, and I went like loaded for bear, like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to try to interview George right. Carlin. I'm going to do all this stuff. And I ended up getting an interview with George Carlin oh, at wow. 14 well years old, I think. And, uh, uh, I I've listened to that tape fairly recently and it is extremely embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Oh, Mr. Carlin, sir. <laughs> and I, I hope I, I never listened to it again, but he did give me a really good piece of advice. Cause I told him I was nervous cause we hadn't even covered interviewing in, uh, in class yet. So right, I, yeah. I, the very first person in my life I ever interviewed, not, it wasn't a class member. It wasn't my teacher or whatever. It was, uh, George Carlin. And so I, I told him. I told him that uh, I was nervous and he said, here, let me give you a piece of advice. I found if you go through life not giving a fuck, you'll find yourself a happier person. <laughs> and, Solid. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I've carried that with me. Um, but around that same time, uh, Ain't It Cool News was starting uh, starting up and that was one of the very first movie review blogging things that existed in the wild, wild west days of the internet. And and. uh uh, the guy that ran that site, you know, noticed that I was getting these, you know, random interviews from my high school newspaper as a teenager and, and, uh, uh, yeah, just started having me write and I ended up becoming the managing editor and helping form that site for almost 20 years. And then, uh, I had to leave whenever that same guy got uh, me too very harshly and I was, uh, not cool with it. And, um, uh, yeah. And so I've been, I spent a little time at Rooster Teeth, mm -hmm. uh, writing, uh, movie content for them, for their blog and for their, uh, their new show called the No, And then, uh, been freelancing, um, uh, for the last, I don't know, a couple of years and, and, uh, yeah, invited Scott on this crazy journey of bullshitting about Stephen King for an hour a week. Well, more than an hour for a week, right? Because we were talking, uh, before we started recording about how, like on your Patreon, you do all sorts of bonus episodes. So, I mean, you guys, you guys are cranking out content right now. We're recording a lot of shit. We're, we're doing like <laughs> four. We'll be, we'll do over four hours of recording this week. I think. Yeah. Maybe more because they go over. Yeah. Inevitably they always do. Right. Oh yeah. But it's, it's fun. Like that's the, you know, that's the thing it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm unemployed. And, you know, the timing of this couldn't have worked out better because uh, this has given me like an awesome thing to to work on uh, in the meantime and sort of fill the time. Even when we're not recording, I'm usually tinkering away in the background with, you know, something and uh, been a real life preserver during all this because I don't know what the fuck else I'd be doing. <laughs> well, there, there's also some something to be said about. You know, uh, uh, the other stuff that we would be looking at and focusing on right now is freelance work and the freelance landscape out there, especially for movie writing <laughs> is, is a fucking nightmare. It's a straight up nightmare. It yeah. is like I, I had over $3,000 worth of stuff and I was lucky to get $3,000 worth of work, um, uh, for, uh, covering South by Southwest for an outlet. And it took me nine months to get the money for that. And, yeah. uh, and even just the, those logistics aside, uh, it is just so tough, especially since the shutdown, like there's, you know, the only thing that people can really talk about are either look backs at, at, uh, certain movies, which don't bring traffic. So nobody really wants it, uh, which is sucks. Cause that's kind of my forte is I'm, you know, <laughs> is, you know, I, I've dug into classic cinema and I know how to put a lot of that in context. Uh, 
but you know, there's nothing new out. It's, it's all right. streaming stuff and there's, there's for every, you know, uh, space for one, one voice out there, there's 30 others trying to find an angle to get, you know, 75 bucks to write an article, you know, for, for a magazine. It is very competitive. It is very stressful. And all the stuff that you're being asked to write about is, you know, just frankly, not all that interesting. <laughs> the first moment uh, of happy, of happiness that I have had about not having, uh, not not running birth maybe's death anymore was just a couple of days ago um you know i've sort of made peace with the whole thing but mm -hmm. a couple of days ago um there was some sort of story about uh how long the snyder cut was going to be <laughs> and then in rapid succession there was another story about some website that was pushing um the, like a release the air cut of suicide squad campaign and yeah. i looked at these stories back to back and was like i'm so fucking happy i don't have to write something up about this right now <laughs> right like, i'm glad i'm re i'm so uh happy to be out of that particular game or have to devote mental real estate to something like that every day sure especially in the situation like you were saying with the shutdown where you know films are getting pushed back or delayed there are only so many times you can write about right. whatever tenant might <laughs> be about before it's just exhausting yeah. right and especially all the release yeah. date changes you know there was when when all that kind of started, we were keeping up with those sort of stories on the site. But it became mm -hmm. like within a week, within a five day stretch, we realized like, you know, this is this is pointless. We can't cover every one of these, you know, because everything's going to be delayed. And then there's going to be ones that get indefinitely delayed. There's going to be ones they push to later in the year. And then those are inevitably going to get delayed. Like this is who want who in their right mind wants to read this story over and over again you could just right you could literally like cut and paste the entire story and just change the titles of the movies and it would be essentially the, the same which a lot of sites are doing yeah yeah so so shutdowns happen quarantine job stuff you know that we're all dealing with and in the middle of that you guys decide to start this podcast so tell me real quick what is the king cast and then how did it kind of come to be eric you take that one <laughs> this is your baby yeah, well, I mean, I, I've been uh, a fan of the podcasting format for uh, not a, a whole long time, actually. I was kind of a late adapter to it, um, but like a lot of people, Serial uh, is what kind of got me listening to podcasts and seeing what sure, they could yeah. be. Um, and and ever since then, I thought it was fascinating. I've been kind of keeping uh, tabs on it, and I've been watching as you know, my chosen career, the, you know, blogging and, and writing, uh, about movies has shrunk and the advertising for it is shrunk and the money being paid for, for the work is shrunk and websites are disappearing. They're getting bought up and being eliminated. And it's, uh, it's been interesting to me. I've kind of just been looking at how podcasts have been rising and growing and, and my chosen profession has been, has been shrinking. Um, and uh, so I've been interested in podcasts for a while. And, you know, whenever I got laid off at Rooster Teeth, uh, one of the things that I, I kind of came up with was, you know, there, there's a trillion billion gazillion movie podcasts out there right. from all, all the different angles. And every time I'd come up with one, I'd find, oh, no, the rewatchables is doing that or, you know, something <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. super hugely and successful was already doing it. And um I just kind of took stock and I was looking at like, what, what are the things that I obsess over? It's like Spielberg, uh, you know, specifically jaws specifically, 
you know, my love of Temple of Doom is not going to sustain a podcast, but uh, uh, Stephen King is is somebody that I've obsessed over since I was in sixth grade. And uh, and I, I've read uh, you know, everything that he's written and I'm like, there's something there. Uh, and I didn't realize until much later that there's already been uh, very like the movie podcast. There's there's a million Stephen King podcasts, but luckily none of them have, uh, that I've seen have actually kind of taken the approach that we have. Um, I knew that, uh, that just me by myself wasn't going to work and I needed, uh, a co-host and, uh, Wampler and I bonded over our mutual love of King and specifically the dark tower series. And, you know, I just knew he was a, he was a fun personality and I can tend to go a little more hard on my sleeve, <laughs> you know, uh, series analytical. And I, sure. I figured if I, you know, I would need, need somebody who's also smart, who can also, you know, cut to the quick, uh, but I'll, you know, you can bring a little sass and that's exactly what, what Scott, what Scott can do. And, um, uh, and plus I just like the guy and I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to, if I was, if, if I was going to, you know, jump into something like this, it's, I mean, it, as you know, it's, this is a very intensive thing. People think, oh, you just shoot something off in an hour, you know, and you have your episode and that's not right. And that's not, not it how it all. is. I mean, especially yeah. with, with our show, our, our the format that we quickly, once I, you know, started bringing Scott into the fold, the format quickly became, you know, why don't we take our, you know, knowledge of King's written work and our, uh, knowledge of cinema and combine those because almost every Stephen King story has been adapted into a TV miniseries or a movie or, you know, something, a, a TV episode. And, uh, that, uh, it was, it was the peanut butter and jelly of, of the, you know, of the show, right. the peanut butter and chocolate or so some other peanut butter metaphor that I can't, I can't think <laughs> of right now. Um, yeah. And, and so, the, you know, I, I approached him and, and we've been kicking this around since last year. So it, it's been a long time developing and we, we, uh, did a few test recordings that will never, ever, ever, ever see the light of day what we're figuring out. Oh yeah. No, you put those, you put, you hide those in a weird folder. Like you used to hide porn in the nineties, like <laughs> eight directories down tax information from 98 or something. That's where you yes. put those first recordings. That's where mine are. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, and it's the, the thing is that between Scott and I as well, we've been doing the uh, movie thing for a long time. We knew that, uh, we wanted to bring in guests and that that's kind of the secret sauce. That's the thing that that none of the other Stephen King podcasts are really doing. I'm sure there's a million more that that uh, have figured out, um, you know, that, that are much smarter analytically than than we are. But uh, you know, we uh, we were able to use our friendships that we've built over the years to bring in guests. You know, our relationships with publicists and and stuff like that have have. Uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go into to play. Hopefully right now we've just been, most of the guests you've seen have been from people that we've interviewed over the years and stayed friendly mm -hmm. with. Um, uh, but yeah, that was kind of the, kind of the germ of the idea. And luckily, you know, right away we had some, some, you know, bigger names commit like, uh, Scott Derrickson and, uh, Kumail Nanjiani and, and those guys, you know, jumped on right away. And, uh, you know, you know how it is. It's like once you, it's the stone soup scenario. Like you just bring exactly, the pot yeah. and, and a stone and some water, and then you ask people to bring ingredients. And by the end of it, you know, you have a delicious stew. So my, my favorite thing hosting an interview podcast is inevitably almost every guest at some point will say, I'm sorry, I've been talking so long. And I'm like, no, 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 that's <laughs> the point. <laughs> like if you yep. don't talk, we're fucked. Like, well, I would like to add here. one thing to that. Like, um, 
I do not think that we are an interview show. Um, I think that we are more aiming for the, the vibe you might get if you overheard three King nerds sitting in a bar talking sure, about yeah. one specific entity. And I think that um, most people have picked up on that. It's a loose show and it's, you know, when we, we originally started, there was this idea that like, okay, the first half of every episode is about the book and then the second half. And, you know, we tried to, um, tried to be a little more rigid about that mm -hmm. in the beginning. And it just doesn't work as well. You got to sort of jump back and forth if you right. want the conversation to flow uh, naturally. So once we knocked out those, uh, I think we only really bothered with that for, for two or three of them. And then we stopped being so precious about it. And I think the show is better for it. I've noticed that a few people are, um, I think they're put off by crosstalk or, or people kind of leaping in. And, and uh, I'm particularly guilty of that because my mouth works uh, faster than my brain. It's <laughs> yeah. something I'm, I'm aware of and I try to, uh, you know, try to get a handle on it. But, but also, like, it's, there's just going to be a lot of crosstalk because it's not a formal interview show. It's, it's, it's a bullshitting show. Yeah. Yeah. It's more of a con like a curated conversation. Sure. Totally. Yeah. And so, and, and that's, what's kind of cool is that, um, or is very cool actually, not only that you have these guests on, maybe, you know, who might be bigger names like Elijah Wood or, or Kamel or whoever is it's been really interesting. I think you guys commented on this in an episode early on, but the, uh, you let your guests pick the King work that they're going to discuss. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then I would say that, you know, there have been a couple of like gimmies like Carrie's in their Dark Tower. Um, but like your, your first episode was The Running Man. And then after that, mm -hmm. it was like Cycle of the Werewolf. So it was like it was King works that most people who are maybe casually acquainted with Stephen King would maybe not even be aware of or even know, you know, maybe they just know The Running Man because of the movie. Right. Yeah. And so it's been cool seeing what uh, books and, and adaptations people are picking when they come on the show. Did that surprise you guys when you first started booking guests? Oh, hundred percent. It, it's tr trust me when you're launching a podcast, you're, you're hoping that like, that people are like, Oh, we're going to start with the shining and we're going to start with, you know, all the, the biggest titles whatsoever. And we ended up, you know, we knew we wanted to start with Kumail because we knew he was funny and we knew that he was going to establish right off the bat that this this wasn't going to be a, a dry book club kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't our first that we recorded. Our first that we recorded was the Michael Doherty uh, episode with uh, Silver Bullet. And oh, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and that 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 one was it, and it's great, too. And that that's the one that like kind of showed us like, cool, all this has to be is a conversation with uh, yeah. Stephen King nerds. Cause like afterwards, like he kept messaging me, like he messaged me multiple times going, that was so fun. And I haven't gotten a chance to talk about Stephen King, you know, just bullshit about Stephen King stuff. That was so, you know, fun and enlightening. And like, it just made me forget, you know, the, you know, the, the world we're in right now, all that kind of stuff. It was, you know, we knew we were on the right track, you know, with those first few, but, but Kumail sure. was very important in, in setting a, a tone for the show. Um, but it's. It's great because here's the thing is when if you assign somebody a title, then it becomes homework. But when they bring you their favorite thing, then they come with a passion because it's always something that they read when they were nine years old or something, a movie they saw when they were, mm -hmm. you know, a, a preteen or something that changed how they viewed cinema. So they, they come with, you know, with a passion for what they're talking about, which, you know, as as you know, become as a somebody who's trying to. To, to lead a show it's it's uh 
it's crucial. Absolutely. That's yeah. like 90% of your work. It's like how directors say that, you know, casting is most of their work. If they cast correctly, you know, they're getting most of their job done in advance. And that's kind of what we found with uh, that format. It also allows for us to um, repeat the titles pretty somewhat easily. You know, um, we're, I don't know how many recordings in we're at or but in between everything we've already aired, everything we've already recorded, but haven't edited and everything we have scheduled over the next, you know, month, month and a half, it's dozens of episodes. And mm -hmm. within that, we only have uh, one repeat, which, you know, is surprising uh, sure. to begin with. But also um, the two people that are repeating a title are coming at the, you know, you know, we know from talking to those guests, like what sort of they're going to be bringing the, ta the table on those conversations and they're mm -hmm. both approaching it from wildly different angles. So, you know, you're going to get some repeats in there, but they're going to be spaced out. And then, you know, you're you, because the guest is picking they're they're coming at it from a unique perspective, almost guaranteed. So um, that that decision to let the guests pick the pick the adaptation was uh, a masterstroke. <laughs> we oh, we yeah. thought it was a yeah. good idea, but it turned out to be the best idea in ways that we hadn't even considered at the time. Yeah. I mean, I think as a listener, it makes such a big difference. Like you said, knowing that like, Oh, I'm, I'm not just going in to listen to Elijah Wood or, or, you know, Scott Derrickson or whoever I'm listening to what they are excited to talk about. Right. And so I know it's not going to be, you know, Oh yeah, no, I read, I read the shining or I, I watched Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Like, like they're going to have passion and interest and opinions. And I think that's what most of us are at least me enjoy hearing on shows and these conversations is we want opinions. We want to hear someone else's opinion. How does it match up with ours? How does it change ours? It gives us something to kind of bounce our own brain off of. Totally. Yeah. And we, we've had that, that time. I mean, having uh Karin Kusama come in for Carrie, like she, she came in, you know, <laughs> she brought the thunder with her, man. She, she was like, you know, it, she came in like a, the best, like, uh, uh, you like a lit professor ever, yeah. you know, she just, she came in and deconstructed Carrie and what it means for feminism and, and, you know, and like tackled like, uh, you know, these complicated gray areas around, you know, can, you know, this book that was written by a man and this screenplay that was written by a man and directed by a man, you know, can, can it have a value as a feminist work and, and all this stuff that, you know, us to, you know, white dudes wouldn't have, right. uh, have attacked, uh, the property with, you know, but it's something that, that, you know, was on her mind and she, you know, it, that, that was one, like when we were recording it, like, I just remember sitting back going, cool. Like this is, <laughs> this is, uh, this is exactly where it should be right now. That's awesome. I I'm actually, that is the episode I'm coming up on. And I also confession, and this is embarrassing as a King fan, but I've not actually read Carrie. And so it's, it's one of those, I'm like, okay, I, I think I probably need to like binge the book before I listen to the episode. I don't know, but, um, I'm excited to listen to it either way. If you're a big reader, you can knock down Carrie in like a day. Oh yeah. You I, know, I, it's I not it's on my Kindle. I'll blast through it. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's also the, a rare episode where she was passionate about Brian De Palma's film and she had never read the book. She, she was one of the only people that we've, her and Elijah, I think are the only two so far that have come on that uh approach their love of king from the cinema side mm, of it mm -hmm. and uh, not the written side uh but i mean i think both 
both episodes, like by the end of it, like every, every one of them or both of them said that like, yep, I've already ordered the book, you know, that I probably should have read before <laughs> coming on here. Like just talking about yeah. it. And, that, that's what kind of going back to something you said earlier, Eric, that, uh, you know, is exciting. Like, like your guest messaging you, I think you said it was Michael messaging you afterwards. Like, Oh, it's so great to get to like talk with somebody and chat. It's funny. Cause I was literally saying to my wife before I sat down to record this episode with you guys, I was like, Oh man, I don't get to talk to anyone about Stephen King. Like it's like, a, especially with the <laughs> shutdown, but it's like a thing that, um, a guy introduced me to in college. And then like, once we graduated, we never talked about it anymore. So it's just a thing I've consumed essentially privately. So I'm like, Oh, I'm so excited. Just to like, die. I don't even know what to talk about. I'm so excited to talk about Stephen King and listening to the episodes. Like you said, has almost had that kind of voyeuristic, uh, feeling of overhearing something in a coffee shop feeling like, Oh, I want to jump in here, you know, and say like, Oh, I hear what you're talking about. This is also my thing. Um, so it, it's been great as kind of a substitute, not book club, but really conversation like you described. Um, my introduction to King, well, actually my real introduction to King was a girl I dated in high school was very into horror movies and I was very not into horror movies, but she, uh, she was like, oh, you should watch this uh, mini series with me. It's called The Stand. It's really, it's really cool. You should check it out. And so I remember watching that and enjoying it. It was fine. I kind of forgot about it. I don't know if I even knew it was a Stephen King thing when we watched it. And then eventually uh, a friend of mine in college was like, oh, you should, you should check out Stephen King. And background, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home in the South. So uh, Stephen King, horror, anything of that nature was not allowed. I was allowed to read a uh, Frank Peretti. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Frank Peretti, <laughs> but he was like the, the Jesus-y version of King. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, you know, okay, I'm in college now. I guess I can, you know, read more than what my mom allows. Um, and he was like, okay, you have to start with Salem's Lot. Like, cool, whatever you say. And so that was the first King book that I ever read. And I, I was sold. I was like, I love vampires. And this is the coolest vampire story I've ever read. And then like, and he didn't. You love dead kids floating outside of windows. <laughs> it was everything I ever wanted, really, in a book, right? <laughs> and, and then from there, it was the, the thing that I think a lot of King fans go through of discovering the interconnectedness of, you know, his work and the way... Um, I remember reading through the gunslinger and when, uh, the, the father, the, the priest from Salem's lot shows up, I was like, Holy shit. And, and I had no one to go talk to <laughs> about it. So it, it's been exciting to kind of get to have that fake experience of sharing that with you guys as you talk with your guests, <laughs> since I don't actually have maybe, maybe someday my, my wife doesn't read fiction at all. So that will never happen, but it's been great as a listener to get to kind of share in those moments with you as you share with your guests. Well, that's awesome to hear. Well, every, everybody like has that, that friend or that, that confidant, like my, my mom was a big Stephen King reader, but oddly enough, we never really talked about King. Like I read her copies of the stand and misery and you know, all the stuff that was around the house, but we never really talked about it. It, it was, a, I had a, a, a teacher, an English teacher in middle school. Um, he was one of those that was like. <laughs> he, he he wasn't like specific, specifically trained to be an English teacher. I think mm -hmm. he was like one of those. He's also the science teacher and the gym teacher. You know, right, he's like right. one of those kind of kind of guys. And uh, I remember in my memory, he looks a little bit like uh, young Elias Codius, but like the the real like world pudgy, right. you know, where, version of it. And he had a mullet. Um, <laughs> but he uh, he was the the guy that um, kind of let me know that they're. I guess I was reading something, maybe nightmares and dreamscapes or something. Uh, I, you know, was carrying around this giant book with me and he was like, Oh, I'm a big Stephen King fan too. And, and like, it was one of those things where we just, after class, we would always 
talk about King and he's the only person at the time that I uh, met that had read any of the dark tower books. And, and so, you know, it's, it's become kind of a, a more widely accepted thing now. And I I think that turn happened somewhere around the Marvel comics adaptation where that's when a lot of people started reading the dark tower. Um, but back then even you could find somebody who'd read Stephen King, but like nobody had read these weird, you know, fantasy sci-fi Western books. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know that, that kind of feeling of finding a confidant and feeling that you found somebody who like shares the same weird niche you know, passion that you do is, is kind of one of the things I've been striving for with the show. And I, you know, based on the, you know, the audience that kind of showed up right away, right out the gate, you know, I think we're, we're, uh, we're reaching that for sure. That's an interesting theory about dark tower sort of turning a corner with the Marvel comics adaptation. My, my theory is that, um, once, once all the books were completed, that's what made the difference. Um, I think with some people, it's sort of like they don't want to start the thing until they know it's it's complete. They can finish it if they want to. Yeah, right. it's like, it's like I, the Game of Thrones mindset. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I know people like that. I've 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 recommended the Dark Tower to you know anyone to listen to me for twenty years or more. And early on, I remember it being like, well, how many books are there? There's three. When's the next one come out? Uh, we have right. no idea. You know, and it's it's hard to. Uh, it's hard to push an incomplete thing, but, but if you, if you can tell people there's a finish line, they can actually get to. Yeah. And there were times during the, you know, the, the publication of those books where, I mean, we really didn't know, you know, um, there was a huge gap in between three and four, uh, that was just interminable. It went on for years. And that's when I was like foaming at the mouth right. for more dark tower. Cause three know? ends on a cliff yeah, too. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it was particularly cruel to uh to leave us off at at that point and then the fourth one came out and the fourth one was mostly a flashback that didn't even move the story forward so it was like what the fuck is this i didn't like wizard and glass when i first read it i was so mad that it wasn't um you know pressing the adventure forward you know and i was so young then that i don't think i really appreciated what what kind of story it was telling and now it's maybe depending on what day you ask me it's it's probably my favorite of them yeah, it's it's a fantastic book. Yeah. I think it's one of his best written. Oh, sure. Yeah. His best oh, yeah. written books for sure. It's a really effective romance. You know, it's got all the dark tower shit you could want in it, you know, with you know, the 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 the, the mixture of genres and all of that. It's set in a you know, a completely new area of midworld that, you know, we're you know, we we had not been to by that point in the story. And and it's kind of fascinating. It's sort of like Midworld's version of Mexico. Um, and then after that, there was like a, another gap of, I I don't remember how many years, but then one day it was just like, all right, then the dark tower is pretty much done. The next three books are coming out in rapid succession. And it was like, oh my fucking (laughs) God, like we could not believe our luck. That was, that was a wild ride. And in between wizard and glass and wolves of the Kala, that's when King almost died. That's when he got hit by the, the van. True. And, and, uh, you know, my first instinct and I'm not proud of it was like, oh fuck, I'm never going to know how the dark tower ends when I read the news. (laughs) Like it's like, then I, you know, felt my basic uh, human emotions and and empathy uh, after that. But you know, my very first instinct was selfishness going, going like, I, you know, he didn't finish. He didn't finish. Well, of course. But I mean, that's just a testament to how, 
invested we are in those characters. Right. The, the, the quality of the work that like you, it would be legitimately tragic for you if you didn't get to see the completion of the story. Oh God. I would still be fucking complaining about it. I would never stop. Yeah. So this is uh, and and you kind of touched on it with your comment about wizard and glass, but it, it's an, it's a bit of a, an easy question with a very hard answer, but what, what is your, each of yours kind of like favorite King work it, for me, I think it shifts on any given day or I could say, well, here are my top 13 or whatever. But are, are there mm. ones for you that that stick out or maybe were very just like pivotal at a time in your life where you, when you're like, oh, man, I remember reading blank and it was a huge in my life at this time. I think the Dark Tower series as a whole, you know, this is sort of. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not really following the rules. Here. Go for it. No, no, freelance one title. But um, I think it's got to be the Dark Tower series. That series means more to me than, you know, any other thing yeah. I've ever read. Probably I've read those books. I don't know how many times and, um, it's just perfect. Uh, so if I could, you know, if I had to pick a King work, I would just say that saga mm -hmm. in general, the other ones, it's sort of like picking a favorite movie. It really depends what day you ask me, what sort of mood I'm in. Uh, I love some of the minor stuff, uh, more than some of the major sure. stuff, you know, like I'm a big from a Buick eight fan. Like I love mm -hmm. that book. Um, a lot of people are kind of meh on that one. Um, but I love all of them for different reasons. I can say that my favorite short story collection is uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. It's a tight race with that and Skeleton Crew and Night Shift. But uh, yeah, I get to give Nightscapes and Dreamscapes the edge because it has Crouch End in it. And that's my favorite King short story. I have actually been really bad about reading like the short story anthologies. So I think, I think Hearts in Atlantis um, is the only you know, collection of, of, of short stories. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's the only one I've read. So those are kind of on my list. Those are more novellas. Yeah. They're really kind yeah, of longer yeah. form, right? Yeah. And, and some of those are kind of tough to get through. Uh, like the title story of the dude in college, just playing, you know, hearts a lot. Um, it isn't, my, isn't my favorite. Um, you know, but that, right. Yeah. I, I would definitely recommend, I mean, because some of these, you know, stories you're going to get to are like 13 pages. They're just super really? quick. Okay. I think even like Children of the Corn is like maybe 30, mm -hmm. 30 pages. And, you know, those those uh, uh, King's short story stuff is like him at his most disciplined because that's, you know, he he still somehow fills out the world, but, you know, doesn't have these 10 page detours into what the you know, the, the clerk at the seven Eleven's right, backstory right. is, you know, um, and also, my, I, I mean, he comes to a novel with a great premise, but doesn't always know how it's going to end. Right. Yeah. And that's resulted in a number of Rocky endings, you know, uh, divisive to say the least, like something like under the dome, which is like yeah. a 900 page book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with short stories, I imagine that he's got the basic three act structure of the thing already kind of figured out before, he starts writing it and that tends to create, I think a more, a, a tighter narrative. And even if you don't like them, you know, as Eric already pointed out, they, uh, they go by pretty quickly. So there's not a, there's not that same time investment, you know, as if you, if, it, if you read something like under the dome where it takes you however long it takes you to read 900 pages. Right. And then you find out, well, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it's not a good ending at all. Um, I remember being particularly annoyed with that one. Particularly annoyed with that one. I, I felt pretty let down after, you know, investing the time it did take me to read 900 pages to get to that point and be like, what? 
Oh, oh <laughs> really? So really? It, it's yeah. a great it's a great setup. I mean, that book starts with that cow being split in half, right? Oh, and so you're just good. like, what the hell? <laughs> and and it's a great mystery. And and there's some really good character work in it. You know, he's got his really good uh or really, you know, the the bad guy that you love to hate, you, you know, kind of taking over the town, whatever that used car salesman. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. slash mayor, slash whatever. Uh dude. How would you um, have ended it, do you think? No, I, I'm I'm not a writer. Or I am a writer, but I'm not that kind of writer. <laughs> I think, well, I don't think I would explain where it came from. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you, you need that, to leave that a bit of a mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you got to, once you literalize whatever has occurred. Right. Uh, I, th- you, I mean, you are locked into that idea, and it better be a real good idea. And yeah. uh, that one was a little underwhelming. So I think it would have been better on the whole if it was just, and then one day it disappeared, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think that, of course, probably would have made a lot of people mad. So, yeah. But I love the ending to the Dark Tower, and a lot of people hate that. So, uh, I love, I love the ending to the Dark Tower. I don't, I'm not crazy about kind of the final third of the book. I actually really like the ending. Um, but, but Roland's kind of final journey up to the tower, I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of hit or miss for me as a reader. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I have way more problems, you know, with them introducing the, you know, the, the kid from insomnia that has, is the magic bullet that can, you know, the, the, the character that's introduced at the very end that can, you know, be the only character that can, can get rid of the big bad guy. You know, I literally started insomnia this week. So now I'm very, uh, very curious about what's going to pop up. <laughs> I, li- I like that book a lot. It's, I've been enjoying it so far. An, yeah. Um, but, uh, I'm going to go back and answer your yeah, yeah. question too, about, uh, the thing that hooked me. I remember as a kid, uh, watching the never ending story and feeling kind of jealous that Bastion Bastion can get, uh, uh, so sucked into stories like that reading mm-hmm. and, you know, just the, the way that like the guy, the old bookstore guy, you know, was talking about how, you know, books are portals into other worlds and you're not just, you know, along with the ride, you know, you're, you're with, you know, Captain Nemo as he's, you know, you're, you're, you're 20,000 leagues under the sea. You're, you're right there. And I never felt that. Like, I always felt like, you know, I never felt engaged reading fiction the way that I felt engaged by film where I could put myself in, in the screen. Um, so I didn't feel that until I read it. Uh, and for whatever reason, that's when I felt like I would, that the losers club were my friends, Yeah, you know, that they were, it helped that I was, you know, about their age, 11, 12, when I was reading it. And, uh, but like, that's, that's the one where I stopped, I stopped looking at it. Like they were words on a page and I would open up the book. And as I'm reading just the way my imagination is, is firing up, I was in the story. Mm-hmm. So I had that feeling, you know, that I, uh, I'd, I'd heard that old, you know, crabby bastard and never ending story talk about. Um, uh, so that that was the turning point for me. That that was the the one that like, yeah, I, I'd, I'd read a few King books and I'd really enjoyed them. But it both it and the stand were were books that that um, I, I felt like I was. Kind of silently in other people's lives, you sure, know, hanging yeah. out and watching them, you know, through you know, through all this crazy stuff, you know, when Larry Underwood's going through that dark tunnel, you know, in, in the stand and, you know, he's having all these, 
you know, nightmare scenarios and thinking he, all these corpses that are of oh, the plague victims are moving and, and stuff like I was in there with him. Uh, the, the, it was, it was those two that, that, uh, you know, that, that kind of made me ride or die. And then, you know, looking objectively at everything, I'm kind of with Scott that the dark tower thing, it, it's kind of the, the indie rock, you know, mm-hmm. thing, or, you know, the indie punk feeling of this. I like something before it was popular as well i'm sure, sure that plays into it but uh you know that that was that weird little special thing that spoke to me and you know i thought nobody else except for my weird elias codius looking you know english teacher you know <laughs> right yeah so i i had a, i had a somewhat similar experience in that i started reading king like i said i think i read salem's lot and then the stand and then i might have read the gunslinger the gunslinger was was fascinating for me but it wasn't life-changing if that makes sense i I loved the story and i kind of loved how he wrote it it felt very different from most fiction i'd read but um reading it was was the first time that i really felt some of the terror elements right that i actually like felt you know discomfort or fear as reading and that i realized i kind of enjoyed that as a reader and felt really deeply invested in the characters um right up until a, a somewhat awkward ending um but it but it was it was yeah i mean that i, I probably list that then I was so invested. Yeah. Um, that, that was definitely one for me. I, I think, I mean, I shift so much on what I love. I love, uh, desperation. Um, I, I couldn't really tell you why I just really enjoyed, maybe it was the time in my life I read it, but it just, for some reason, um, it stood out for me, even though I, when I look at it like critically, it's not, I don't know, it's not the best written thing ever, but I really enjoyed it. But, uh, I remember, and it was, yeah, there was just something about it. Um, when I read it that, that I dug, uh, 11, 63, I, I love time travel and I love history. So that was fun for me, but I, I think probably my, my favorite has been the Bill Hodges trilogy. Um, cause there's something, I, I think, I think that King writes, uh, that kind of crime, you know, procedural thing very well. And it was not something I was expecting when I started Mr. Mercedes. And then, you know, to have that kind of, I felt like all three books were fairly strong and then I really enjoyed the outsider. And so it kind of, uh, it's been a fun, you know, it's been a fun few recent years to get to kind of explore the, uh, the crime side of things after, after, you know, horror and then fantasy and, and now kind of reading his crime dramas. I've really enjoyed those and the HBO. I thought that, I thought the show was good too. Yeah, the show was good. It's, uh, I think it could have been a couple episodes shorter. I think maybe they yeah, it, dra- it dragged on a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read any of that Bill Hodges trilogy. I read really? the, uh, the outsider, but, um, there's been some in the past probably decade or so where every once in a while I won't go out and buy the one that like the new thing as soon as it mm-hmm. comes out. I got If It Bleeds when it came out a couple months ago, like day one. Um, but some of them I've sort of been setting aside because, you know, unfortunately due to the, the march of time, uh, right. there will come a day where we don't have any more new Stephen King books. And sure, I sort of somewhere along the line decided like, I'm just going to set some aside. So when the inevitable occurs, I've, I've got like a little, a little, uh, treasure trove sort of pull from, but I'm looking forward to getting around to those. Yeah. Yeah. They're fun. Kind of a similar follow-up question. Do you guys have, um, a favorite adaptation? And then the flip side of that is, is do you have one that you just hate and can't stand and wish that it did not <laughs> exist in the universe? Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've had a little bit of a rough run on some of the advanced, uh, episodes like our next week episode is Tommy knockers. And that, 
that kind of kicked off. You know, we we had uh, some of the worst King adaptations uh, and or worst King books right in a row. So we there was a rough month of me revisiting some of my least favorite King books <laughs> for the show. Sure. The, the, the Tommy Knockers has to be the worst one. Yeah, because King himself hates Tommy Knockers, right? He's 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 called Tommy Knockers like the book itself is right. a book he doesn't like. If I recall, right? Both that and Dreamcatcher yeah. are share a similar title, and they're they're very similar feeling books. Both about aliens. Both written under yep. a tremendous amount of drugs. The influence <laughs> of a lot of drugs. So mm-hmm. um, maybe there's a there's a common theme there. Um, <laughs> but I do think Tommy Knockers is the worst one. Having recently we rewatched that whole miniseries, it is uh, an absolute beating to get through. Uh, but but it's rough because like. What's the worst? The worst adaptation would be taking something great and making a shitty, shitty movie out of like if you're just looking at the awful movie, Cell is up there. Oh. Uh, yeah, it you is. know, that that's that's a real bad movie. Dreamcatcher mm-hmm. is not a good movie, but like all those aren't like top tier king. So, yeah, I mean. Even though it is on the whole oh, yeah. a very mediocre like almost non-offensively mediocre movie. Uh, the dark tower to me is the, the biggest like crime because like, not only does that movie, uh, not fulfill what the, uh, the books are, it takes all these shortcuts, but it also cuts the legs out of it actually being adapted correctly for a long time. So for what it does, I think the dark tower is the most uh, egregious, uh, for best King stuff. We recently revisited, um, stand by me for 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 a, a, an upcoming episode and um that that movie means a lot to me as uh just as a cinephile and i remember you know watching again it was watching that very mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like the my it experience where i was about the age of those kids when i watched the movie for the first time and it and it you know had an effect on me it was a movie i watched over and over again throughout my teen years and and it's a great film uh I think that no matter unquestionably that is one of the the best Stephen King uh, movies and and having recently revisited it and re- reread the 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 body which it was based on, uh, it is like eighty five percent just a direct lift from the novella dialogue. There's whole you know dialogue scenes that are just just pulled directly from the book. Um, so it is like the at once it's one the most King uh adaptation you know most direct literal adaptation and to the best movie yeah stand by me is a good one i think the shining is probably my favorite movie it's hard to beat that but in doing the show i've been going back and revisiting a lot of stuff that um is either better than i remember like cujo uh we just did cujo and uh i was i hadn't watched that in at least 20 years uh, was never really much of a fan of it. Wasn't really that much of a fan of the book at the time. And revisiting that movie, I was, I ended up watching it twice in the space of 24 hours. I, I, it's a really well, well-made adaptation. Um, it chapter one, the new one, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is great. Um, misery, I mean, the obvious misery one, is, Shawshank Carey. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I guess I just uh, uh, the dead zone is is one that I think yeah, is uh, yeah. that is never brought up in in the best king movies. Uh, I think people just forget that it's a Stephen King <laughs> thing for for whatever reason. But uh, but that that movie is fucking great. Yeah, it is. Well, and it's kind of interesting too because you have this run of of fairly good king adaptations early on in the eighties, 
and then um kind of a hard and i haven't seen all of them by any means but but in my mind like kind of a hard left turn to just kind of mediocrity for for a good Mm -hmm. long stretch with a couple of exceptions but um yeah yeah i felt the same way when i came out of the dark tower because i i I was like telling my wife i was like i love idris elba i love this story i'm so excited come experience this with me it's going to be so great we walked out of the theater and i was just we walked out of alamo draft house it's like oh my like i was just like i'm sorry (laughs) he was like no i mean it was fine i was like i mean yeah like it was a you know fine as like a shitty summer movie but like I just felt crushed that this thing that I loved and was so passionate about, I, I had reread the entire series <laughs> to get ready to see the movie. And so everything was still fresh. And I was just like, what did I just watch? And I had that same feeling of like, they're never going to make another version of this for a decade yeah. because of how bad this thing I just saw was. It sucks too. Cause they came real close. You know, they shot that pilot for uh, yeah, yeah. Amazon and the Amazon. Yeah. We've seen the pilot and it's, it's really, it's, it's pretty great. You know, um, it's not like, uh, you know, triple uh, A prestige television, like, sure. you know, one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. But it's also hard to hard to gauge after just one episode. Right. Um, but but what's there, I think, indicates that they they had like the basics. They had the basics right. Yeah. And um, then when we talked to uh, Glenn Mazar, who was the, you know, the showrunner on that or would have mm-hmm. been. Um, and he laid out like what his plans were for the whole thing. It was like, Oh Jesus. Well, yeah, this was the way you do it. Yeah. You got it. Right. Yeah. Pretty heartbreaking that whole thing. And, um, I'm surprised that I'm surprised they didn't, I'm surprised the Amazon didn't move forward with it. Really. It's, it's good enough that it's surprising that they didn't, um, they didn't move forward with it, but I guess it would have been pretty pricey. Yeah. And I I think they, they'd had so much money invested into the Lord of the Rings show that they're, they're launching Mm -hmm. that. You know, I, I guess even Amazon has a <laughs> has a ceiling on how much money they're, they're willing to spend on on there. Well, they're struggling, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos only made 13 billion dollars on Monday. So. I know that poor guy. Just, you know, I hope he's going to be OK. Should start a GoFundMe for him. <laughs> thoughts, thoughts and prayers to Bezos for sure. Yes. Do you think there's ever a chance of of that being revived or or happening? I, I do not have a background in the film industry or, or television or anything, so I don't know how all the the kind of politics and machinations of all that work. But is there a chance that someday you say Lord of the Rings kills it and they go, hey, cool, what's our next big epic epic Mm -hmm. thing? That's I I absolutely think it'll happen. I think it's going to take some time Mm -hmm. because it's the well has sort of been poisoned. You had a movie that didn't perform and then you had from the outside looking in what it looks like is they tried to do it from for Amazon and Amazon passed on it and they must have passed on it because it wasn't very good. I think that's probably what the conception is, which which just right, isn't the case. Right. Um, so for all intents and purposes, I do think the well is a little bit poisoned on that. But I am still keeping my money, my bet on HBO doing it one day. Oh, that would be great. I think that it combines. Here's a series that combines elements from uh, many of their most popular series. You've got the the sprawling sort of uh, world building that goes into Game of Thrones. You've you've got the the Western element of uh, Westworld. You know, um, you've got the sort of comic booky genre element that that went along with Watchmen. Mm-hmm. I think HBO is eventually going to be in a spot where um, they're going to be looking to to do that, and they've already got a. Um, an established relationship with King now, you know, they're doing another season of the outsider. Yeah. 
I'm just saying it would not surprise me if one day they were like, all right, let's give this a shot. Sure. And let's let's give a season to each one of the books and see what happens. Um, and I think if they nail that first season, you know, it'll it would be a success. You just got to approach the material in a way that um, allows it to maintain its mystery and actually delivers the tone that that the books have, you know, so that the fans are on board and not screaming about it as soon as they see it. And and to sort of. I think it'll compel audiences that that haven't read the books for the same way that the books compelled the people that read them. Yeah, it's, that's my guess. It's also something to keep in mind is that there's nothing that Hollywood loves more than IP. <laughs> you know, they they love something that's established, mm-hmm, right. that has its own fan base. You know, that comes with name recognition of some sort. Uh, it, it'll it'll happen. And here's the thing: is is we're seeing a lot of creatives are coming into positions of power now who grew up reading the dark tower. Um, right, there's right. a reason mm-hmm. why JJ Abrams almost, you know, they had the rights for a while. Like if JJ Abrams in, you know, now had the dark tower rights, we would have already seen an HBO show on it. Right. Like it, that, that would have gone forward instead of JJ back in his uh, star Trek days. You know, it's like, yeah. um, it, all these people are, you know, are diehard fans of, uh, you know, of the dark tower cause they grew up with it and they're starting to, it's going to take somebody with, uh, an Abrams level, mm-hmm. um, posi- uh, power to bring the dark tower, uh, yeah, to the screen in a way where it's not going to get, get futzed with. Cause here, here's the main challenge with the dark tower is it's, it's fucking weird. And, <laughs> sure. and, yeah. and, and that is what people love about it. And, you know, just in the same way that, a lot of game of Thrones is fucking weird and guess what? They embraced it and, and the audience came along with it. But you know, one of the things that happened with the dark tower movie is that they over explained it. So, so right. they could make sure that, you know, Joe Bob in the, the mall theater wasn't lost and wasn't feeling weird, icky things. So, uh, you know, they just, they just, uh, homogenized it. And the person who is going to get, get it done, and get it done right is going to be somebody who can, who can, uh, force the people holding the purse strings to let the story be as weird as it needs to be. Yeah. Who has a clout to say, I've done this before, you know, my name will carry part of this. Like just, you know, give me a shot here. Open the purse strings. Like you said. So what we're saying is Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder needs to do it. You could do the first season of that show for, uh, comparatively less than, subsequent se- uh, uh, seasons would be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially, it's essentially Deadwood with four elements, right? Like it's just, it's happening in a not very complex setting. Yeah. If it were a yeah. season long, let's say it's, I don't know, six to eight episodes long, you know, only maybe a third of those episodes are going to get really into, you know, once they're under the mountains and the slow mutants. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think that's like mm-hmm. the only area of the book where I'm imagining like the 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 budget ramping up, you know. But like mm-hmm. a, a, yeah. a season of the Gunslinger is going to be substantially less uh, expensive than say, Drawing of the Three or than Wastelands, you know, when sure. they start getting like the real hardcore sci-fi shit in there. Um, yeah, so that that might be another selling point. Like it's a low buy-in, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you you can you can prove the uh the formula fairly fairly quickly and inexpensively. Yeah, I do love the idea of them getting people hooked, 
and then, and I hope that they would do it this way. And then taking that hard turn and being like, you know, we're going to take a year off and you're going to watch a wizard in glass. And then we'll get back to the story. You have to deal with what everybody else dealt with actually reading these books. (laughs) Well, they certainly took long enough in between seasons of the Sopranos. Oh, geez. (laughs) So similar, similar kind of questions. We're coming up to the end here. Um, there have, I mean, King might be the most, you know, adapted author of all time. I mean, he's certainly a prolific author, right? So the amount of like films and TV shows already adapted, huge. But there's also been a good number of upcoming projects and adaptations that have been announced. Are there any in particular that you guys are excited about to to see happen or that, you know, again, flip side that you're a little concerned about, like, oh, God, why are they doing Tommy Knockers? <laughs> revival. Well, revival. <laughs> revival is going to be interesting. I'm concerned. Mike, Mike about Flanagan it. has has earned uh, has earned your trust in, in adapting King. And that story is crazy bonkers. And when he came on the show, he talked about not shying away from the dark, dark, deep, dark, awful, dark, dark ending of that yeah. uh, of that story. And it, and it's that's a great one because that's going to be one that can can um, haymaker people. You know, they're going to su- be sucker mm-hmm. punch because it's not a story a lot of people read and know and uh it, it's a really powerhouse uh, uh 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 of a story and when somebody like flanagan behind it that that is the the one i'm most excited about i trust yeah, flanagan sure. to execute it faithfully what i don't trust is the studio and i'm i'm nervous about uh his draft of the script getting through with that ending intact I have a feeling that they're going to be like, I don't know about this. So, um, so I would, I would say I'm a little bit nervous about that one. Um, Tommy, James Wan's doing Tommy knockers. I have no idea why. Um, I'd be very curious to talk to him about that. Uh, I think that you could do a Tommy knockers movie, um, that really isn't faithful to the book, but sort of, you know, hits some of the main bullet points. Um, that's one that's sort of similar to needful things to me where I feel like, yeah, this, there's a great movie in this material, but what it needs to be is a dark comedy, you know, like a horror comedy almost. Mm-hmm. And so if that's, if that's going to be Juan's approach on Tommy knockers, like if, if I heard that, I'd be like, Oh, he understands like that'll be interesting. But, um, yeah, a friend of mine, uh, is, is, uh, doing the Salem's lot. um, a remake as well. Gary Dauberman. Uh, he mm-hmm. was one of the writers and producers on the it movies. Uh, and he did the last Annabelle, uh, which is actually really good too. Annabelle comes home. Um, I'm curious about that because we've, there've been two, uh, adaptations so far. There was the Toby Hooper TV movie, which is very seventies TV movie, uh, but also very effective. You know, it's got some really creepy, you know, imagery and, and, uh, it captures the tone of the book, but it's also extremely dated um, and also didn't do the main vampire. Right. They just turned him into Nosferatu. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was a, um, a, a TV, another TV miniseries with Rob Lowe and James Cromwell, I think, um, uh, that is just kind of boring and bland. Uh, so I'm curious to see what a theatrical, you know, decently budgeted uh, take on Salem's lot is today. Like how is he going to modernize it? That, that one I'm curious about. Yeah. Do you, do you think this is kind of a segue question, but do you think in general that for adaptations, and let's just say specifically of King, do you think movies 
are the best kind of canvas for that to happen? Or, or do you think that stories like that, especially his longer ones, like for instance, I would have loved to have seen it as a multi-season HBO series, right? Mm-hmm. There's just so much story to tell. Do you think that films uh, like Dr. Sleep was fine? I enjoyed it. It was fine. But do you think movies can really tell the book's story as well as perhaps an extended TV show can? It depends on the, it, I mean, it's so, that depends on the, what book you're talking about. It depends on the filmmaker, depends on the approach of the writer, you know, um, Dr. Sleep is a, a great example. Uh, I did not like Dr. Sleep, the book. In fact, I didn't mm-hmm. even finish it. And when, when I heard that, um, Mike was doing it, I was excited because, uh, I love Gerald's game and I didn't think that. I didn't think anyone in their right mind would make a Gerald's game movie. It was just like, how the fuck are you going to condense that down to like a two hour, 90 minute runtime and have it, right. you know, land the emotional beats that it needs to land. And also, you know, it's a lady just handcuffed to a bed for 400 pages or whatever, you know, uh, it didn't feel cinematic to me. I didn't understand how they were going to do that. And he pulled it off. He did the same thing with Dr. Sleep. Um, and he did it by marrying the, the text to the to the Kubrick adaptation, which is a really unique take that um, sure yeah wouldn't have occurred to me in a million years. Uh, and he he also, uh, as far as I can tell, streamlined it a little bit. Um, I think that it really depends on who's pulling the strings on these things mm, and yeah. uh, and what the story demands. I mean, like right. what what Scott was saying is is exactly right. On like Doctor Sleep doesn't work if it's not a theatrical experience because the whole mm-hmm. point is to marry the theatrical movie that you know and the you know text it's an olive right, branch right movie it's the thing that you know for all the people stephen king fans throughout the years that have hated on kubrick's movie uh you know it is it is the we can all live together in peace and harmony and you know have a coke and a smile you know mm-hmm. um so that that i don't think dr sleep works as a you could make a really fun miniseries out of that, but I think that that approach specifically had to be a movie. Um, you know, it could could sustain uh, a miniseries, The Stand, of course. You know, which they're doing again. You yeah. know that that's some of these you know thousand page books. Of course, that that would work. But you know, does Stand by Me work as a you know an eight episode miniseries? Probably not. Um, right. You know. It, uh, you know, but again, you could make anything work. You can make a, a lawnmower, a badass lawnmower man show, you know, if you have the right person right. behind it, you know, who, who would have thought that, you know, uh, uh, Hannibal Lecter, you know, young Hannibal Lecter story would, would work in, in that, you know, works like gangbusters. So, yeah. you know, it's, uh, anybody could, anybody that's talented can make, uh, any long form or short form adaptation. I think that King's, there are a few things. A single movie for the stand does not work. A multi movies for this. You could make three, you know, hundred million dollar stand movies and it would be a badass trilogy. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, you know, you're I, But yeah, I think that one's specifically very suited for for long form TV. Yeah, because they're definitely like you said earlier, um, Scott, about like the outsiders, like. There, there's a point too where a, a show adaptation kind of feels like it goes on a bit too long because they're trying mm. to meet their, you know, episode requirement. So they start kind of stretching things out or adding things that were unnecessary. So I, I think you're right when you find those those ones that are the perfect marriage. Yeah, because Stand By Me 
wouldn't work as a TV series. It's excellent as a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's, and it's hard, right? You have to get the perfect mix of director and studio and script and all the different people showing up to, to bring the right pieces together, which is true with any movie, but it feels extra difficult with King, just given the number of kind of adaptations that have fallen flat. So when it does come together, it's, you know, as a fan and, and a consumer, it's incredibly enjoyable. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the important things for King adapting King are tone and character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that's become very, <laughs> very awkward uh, sex scenes, you know, also required awkward <laughs> sex scenes. I think people are afraid to, you know, make King stuff, uh, just kind of fun sometimes, you know, I revisited right. like creep show the other day and that is a goofy fucking movie. And, um, you know, my wife was, was like, uh, she was not a fan of Stephen King's performance in that movie. And, uh, <laughs> I, but I think his, his performance absolutely works because it exists within the reality of that movie, which is very heightened, very comic book and, you know, over the top, you know, it is absolutely like one of those EC comics brought to life. Right. And I think that I would like to see more of that sort of thing, sort of fun horror being taken with King. I think a, a lot of the time, um, you know, people fall into the trap of, um, just not making it very fun. And most Stephen King books, even, uh, I, I wouldn't say that most of them are, are genuinely frightening, you know, but they're fun, scary, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, I'd like to see more of that sort of feel on the screen. So I, I agree with Eric on the tone thing. Awesome. Well, what can people look forward to coming up from, from y'all show? Um, I think, I think this episode will air in about a week. So, so what can people, if, uh, if they haven't listened to your show yet, what can they kind of look forward to and expect kind of coming down the pipe? Eric, you take that one. I'm worried about doing spoilers. <laughs> Spoiling things. Yeah. Um, uh, well, we, every Wednesday we drop our main episode, our free, you know, the main show that's free to everybody. Um, and, uh, we have a Patreon that we just launched where we're launching, uh, bonus episodes, uh, as well. Uh, and among those bonus episodes are, uh, early, uh, access to our main show. So we, I can say that we have a maximum overdrive episode coming up, which okay. is particularly fun. Uh, I think that that's going to drop at the beginning of August. It's the first or second week of August. Um, uh, but normally we keep the titles and the guests a secret. It's, it's, uh, sure. Yeah. It's, it's our way of keeping people on the hook, I guess. Um, but at the end of every show, we announce what the next title is going to be. And, uh, because we found out pretty early on that initially we were just going to drop the episodes, but we found early that people wanted to have that week to catch up and, and either rewatch the movie or, or reread the book and kind of, kind of stay on. So we decided to be, teasers about it um but the one that that we have announced that that is known uh is uh the great poster artist daniel danger who also did our logo um uh came on to do maximum overdrive which is one of the more requested uh king titles and uh that episode gets a little uh a little bonkers as you can imagine and uh uh i think when people hear this the Tommy knockers episode will have just aired. Um, and that's also a really fun one. And, uh, uh, I don't know, Scott, is there anything else that, that I'm, I'm forgetting here? Um, we are, uh, this week we're recording two, uh, special episodes. Um, 
that uh, will have us speaking to people who have actually starred in uh, various King productions. Um, One of them is more of a general discussion about all the work that person has done in that um, genre, that subgenre, I guess you would say. Uh, And then the other one's a little bit more focused on a specific movie that they starred in. Also, I would say that for people who are, who enjoyed the, the um, dark tower episode with Glenn Mazzara, which was really about an adaptation that never existed versus one that we could all go watch. um, We have something, something else along those lines in the works. Uh, We're not scheduled to record that one for like a month. So I want to be very, I don't want to over promise anything because sometimes shit happens and purposefully vague. Right. But um, if you enjoyed that one, and we successfully pull this one off. There's there's another one of those coming that's that ought to be um very uh interesting and uh exciting for Stephen King fans. Very cool. And and where is the best place for people to find you guys online, get in tr- touch with you, check out the show? Uh well our, our Twitter is at Kingcast19. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash the Kingcast. And my, my personal Twitter is my name at Eric Vespi. And mine is at Scott Wampler BMD. Uh, no longer at BMD, but uh, I can't drop that from my handle without uh, losing my verified status, which would cost me my beloved quality filter that keeps me, keeps the lunatics at <laughs> See, bay. that's so, the thing I've been meaning to, to ask people who are verified. Like, like when you have that many followers, how the hell do you filter everything else? So there's a secret, there's an elitist, you know, upper class yes. filter. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. um, When I first got verified, uh, I didn't turn on the quality filter, which when you set it on full blast, uh, will, you know, I only see responses now from, uh, the people that I am following Mm -hmm. and I don't follow a, a lot of people, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, and at first I didn't want to engage it because I was like, no, I want to be able to interact with everyone. And and blah, blah, blah. And then I had a couple of rough days on Twitter, you know, made some joke that people didn't like or something. And uh, I threw on the quality filter just to, you know, see how I enjoyed it. And within 10 minutes of that, I was like, oh, I'm never going back. Right. Like, oh, this site is fun again. Cool. Yeah, this is this is how this website is, is supposed to work. So um, right. they can pry that from my cold dead hands. I'll, I'll just leave my handle uh, outdated. <laughs> you, know, you do you do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys so much for joining. Uh, it was, it was fun for me. I, like I said, you know, I don't get to talk about King with literally anyone. So, uh, this was a, a pure indulging episode for myself. So I appreciate it. No, thanks for having us. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. We'll drop links to, uh, to the show, to the Twitter, to the Patreon. We'll drop all that in the show notes. Make sure you guys check that out. And if you are a supporter of our Patreon, patreon.com slash rule for persuasion, that means you get access to the special zone of truth segment coming up after the outro music where we're going to keep chatting for a few minutes. And I honestly don't know what we're going to talk about. It seems like there's a good chance it'll be about movies, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll make it up. Y'all have any ideas what you want to just bullshit about for, for 10 or 15 minutes? Yeah, totally. I got one. Okay, cool. So we're, we're not even, we're not even going to tell you if you want the ultimate surprise, make sure you support the show. Patreon.com slash rule for persuasion. You get access to this episode zone of truth and the entire back catalog of everything we've ever done. So make sure you guys check that out. And of course, as always, you can subscribe to the show in the app of your choice. I don't discriminate. Listen to what you want to, you know, use, use whatever phone or device you feel led to use. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Roll Persuasion. You can email if you want to. Some of you guys like to email and chat with me, and that's super cool. Andrew at RollForPersuasion.com. If you have an Apple device, you know that we love it when you leave those reviews. 
um, the friendly ones especially uh, on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> so please make sure that you are uh, dropping one those star. reviews. One star. Yeah, if you're a one star person, just email me to complain. You don't need to let the world know. You can send it to me directly. <laughs> I will uh, I will take it and accept it. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to this show each and every week. I appreciate your downloads and your feedback. It's so much fun to bring you things that I'm passionate and excited about and share them with you guys. If you have never read Stephen King, Go read Stephen King. Uh, tweet at the King cast to find out what book they think you should start with or tweet at me. What will definitely give you some good recommendations. But all that being said, until next time, guys, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.